the story is told of a couple who were driving along a road, one of those you know, big, open, expansive country roads uh, where there's no town or village for many miles at all. And they saw on the side of the road uh, a man pulled up a businessman in a suit uh, by the side of the road, looking with his hands on his hips in some level of frustration as to what had happened. So they thought there's something not right here. So they, they pulled over and they said, um, no, can, can we help at all? He said, oh, he said, I'm in such a complete mess. He said, I'm supposed to be going to this business meeting, which is you know, 20, 30 miles away. Uh, and I knew I didn't have enough petrol in the car when I, when I set off. And I thought, I'm going to risk it here, you know, because I haven't got time to stop at the petrol station. And he said, unfortunately, I've, I've run out of fuel. A bit embarrassing. And he said, and it's worse than that as well, because I realise I'm going to this town. I've never been to this town before. I'm in an era here, of course, when this story was told before sat-navs or mobile phones or Google Maps. Um, and he said, and I haven't got an atlas. So I actually, I forgot to put that in the glove box, and I don't know where I'm going at all. Well, the couple were very kind, and they said, well, do you know what? We've got a, we've got a gallon of fuel. You can tell when the story comes from. Um, we've got a gallon of fuel in the back, and, and you can have that. And that will get you... There's, we know there's a petrol station about 10 miles down the road. That will get you there. And, and he said, oh, you're, so, you're a lifesaver. Thank you so much. So they put the fuel in the car, and he set off and roared off into the distance. And the couple, thinking they'd done their good deed for the day, they carried on their own way, slowly. Um, about 15 miles down the road, they, uh, they saw the, the car pulled up again. And the man is standing by the side of the road looking at the car. And they pulled over and said, what now? Has the car broken down? He said, um, yes, he said, about that. He said, um, I was going to stop at that petrol station, but I thought, I'm running so late for the meeting, I haven't got time to stop, and I've, I've run out of fuel again, I'm afraid. And they just smiled. And, looked, and, and they unfortunately had no more fuel for him and had to go on their way. Now, this story is something of a little bit of a metaphor for us as Christians when it comes to prayer. Because so often in our Christian lives, we, 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 we go on and we start off with the best of intentions. But the busyness of life tends to take over. So the essential things that we need as part of our Christian faith, which is to pray regularly, just get pushed out of the window. And we don't stop at that petrol station, if you like, and we don't sort of fuel ourselves up, if you like, with prayer. And, and what's more as well, we, we set off without an atlas. We don't actually necessarily know where we're going. So when we do come to pray, often it's quite unstructured, and it sort of calls here and there, and no real plan to our prayers. And the challenge that we're going to look at today is twofold. Firstly, it's our approach to prayer. How do we actually approach the subject of prayer? When do we learn to pray? And how do we pray? And then secondly, and more briefly, uh, challenging our attitude towards prayer. Thinking about a way in which we can challenge ourselves to pray more regularly. Now this is a, this is a picture um, that may be familiar to Anna, certainly familiar to me. Uh, this was 14 years ago. Anna and I, uh, before we had children were quite keen skiers. And we used to go away every February half term with Gold Hill Holidays skiing in Switzerland. It was a, it was a ch cheap as chips thing. We used to go on a coach, um, but to Switzerland. Now, we went one year. It was great, brilliant. We went, went the following year, and about three or four days in, very leisurely, sort of down, down in the afternoon, um, Anna, who was a very, very cautious skier, decided to kind of jump over a little mogul, and in doing so, managed to break her leg. And she ended up here for a week. Now, 
it's, it's an event like that, and I have to say, we'd only been married a couple of years at the time, um, but it was the first, I'd say, probably big crisis in our marriage in that sense, because I had this absolute dilemma as to what to do. I was in the middle of the biggest deal I'd ever worked on at the time, and the people back in the UK saying, you're going to have to come back to the UK, you need to basically do this deal. So I had to leave Anna in hospital in Switzerland, and the, fortunately the insurance company flew her mother out to be with her, which I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but... Um, <laughs> But, but anyway, but the whole family militated around and everybody was praying for this situation. Because it was quite, you know, it was quite, and, and Anna was in a lot of pain. She had a big operation in hospital. She was, you know, thousands of miles away. It was a big thing. And this is classically the kind of situation where we really get militated to pray. You know, really do. And I actually would call it the emergency cord prayer. You know, if you go along with the train and you see that, 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 that thing there with, you know, Pull emergency cord in case of emergency. Penalty £50 for improper use. And you're always tempted to pull it just to see what happens. Whatever. So often our attitude towards prayer is that sort of emergency cord. Yet is that right? Should that be our response with prayer? Well, I'm a huge fan of a, of a book written by Don Carson. Uh, it's got a very, very dull title called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Some of you may be familiar with it. But in that, he, he challenges us a lot about prayer. And he said, actually, in one sense, one of the, the biggest challenges that the church has today, when you think of all the things of immorality in society, the challenges with evangelism, you know, and we've even seen recently our society moving more and more away from God. He said he still thinks the biggest challenge that the church faces today is a lack of knowledge of God. People do, the church itself does not know God as well as previous generations did. And one of the problem, and one of the reasons why that's become the case is because we have become gradually more prayerless as, as a church. Now J.I. Packer is pretty hard-hitting in this area. He says, I believe that prayer is the measure of the man, spiritually in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. It's a really fundamental thing. And actually, one of the great things that we've got is we've got God's Word. Um, I've got it on my phone. Um, and if we go back to God's Word, we can start to learn again biblical prayers about how we can pray. Now, we're going to look today, so if you've got a Bible, I want to pull it out. We're going to be looking at um, one of Paul's prayers, specifically in 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 1, and looking at verses 3 to 12. And what's really interesting about this is that Paul sets out, if you like, a framework for how we should pray. Because the interesting thing is, and I've been a home group leader on and off for probably the last 15 years, and, and it's really interesting to sort of observe what we generally pray for in our home groups. And I'm sure your home groups that you've been part of are pretty pretty similar. What people tend to pray for tends to reflect their highest priorities. So we really pray for things when people are sick, when people are, are struggling, we pray for that. We pray for that sort of material, sort of health thing or, or, or whatever. Occasionally we will pray for people where they've got, say, evangelistic opportunities or uh, this, that and the other. But generally speaking, the rhythm of prayer tends to be that sort of approach. And when we talk about giving thanks often, and this prayer talks about giving thanks, we tend to give thanks more for our material well-being and comfort. 
Whereas actually in this prayer here, Paul starts to challenge what we should be giving thanks for. Let's read it. So verse 3, we ought always to thank God for you brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, amongst God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So what is Paul praying for here, for this young church? He's giving thanks here for their growth in faith and love. So this church here, you've got people growing in their faith, and as a result, there's an actual outward physical sign of that growth in faith, because their love for one another is deepening. And we see a really, really strong pattern in the early church about how, and we talked about it last time when we were talking about gifts, is that you've got a real evidence of a growing church when you've got a deepening love for one another. And this is the thing that we should be giving thanks for in our prayer. So if we're seeing spiritual growth in one another, we should be giving thanks for that. We should be looking at each other and thinking, yeah, I really want to give thanks for the fact that my brother there is, is, is really growing spiritually. And you can see that evidence in his life. The other thing as well, and this was a particularly relevant thing in the early church, is there was plenty of trials. There was plenty of persecution going on. And Paul is thanking uh, for thanking God for the perseverance that they are showing under trial. And again, think of brothers and sisters in difficult situations. Perhaps think of one who's under a particularly dif- difficult situation in a work situation where, um, I don't know about your work situation, but there's often a hostility, if you like, to, to people who really, really are Christians and believe. And yet they're, they're, and yet they're contending away in that situation giving thanks for that particular thing. Are we giving thanks for signs of grace in God's followers? And the other thing as well is there's a thanks here that God's judgment is right. And that's a difficult thing for our society today, verses (coughs) 6 to 10. The fact that um, although it may be difficult now for believers, we're giving thanks because the fact that what the life that they are living now shows the hope in the future glory. In, in, in the fact that they know that God's judgment will ultimately prevail. So, Paul's prayer starts off with giving thanks for spiritual growth. <coughs> the second thing, then, he, he, he prays for is actually that they would be counted worthy of God's calling. <laughs> and we go down to verse 11 to see this. Because the challenge to us as we look at this is think, well, what kind of things do we tend to pray for? We tend to pray that things will generally go well for us in our lives. But we look at 2 Thessalonians 1.11. It says this, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. In other words, that you will live up to the, the standards that God has set and grow in maturity. I mean, the truth is that nobody is called to become a believer by virtue of them being a good person. You know, God God doesn't call people because they think, well, that they've met the spiritual grade. They should be a believer. That's not how it works at all. God tends to call pretty broken people, sinful people or whatever. But once they've been called and once people become believers, then actually um, Paul's prayer is that, that they will then grow to become worthy of that calling. Now, of course, we can never, ever attain it in this life at all. But this growth in spiritual maturity 
is something that is really, really seen as being as prized by Paul. And there's a challenge for us here as well. Are we in our prayers praying this for our families? Because so, so often I think there's a challenge to us here where um, I think about my, my own children, a couple here, so I have to be slightly careful what I say. But um, obviously we, we want them to, to be successful in life in some senses. We want them to be happy. We want things to go well for them in life. But I think there's a challenge to us sometimes. Do we actually really want them to, um, above everything, grow spiritually? Do we want to see our families grow spiritually? Or do we just want them to prosper in the sort of world's standards? I think that's a real challenge. I think for a, a, a lot of us as, as Christians, it's, it's changing that shift in emphasis from the standards of the world uh, around us. One of the things that um, I've tried to do recently when sort of being more systematic in praying is having a thing where I will pray individually for each member of my family to try and think about, well, what... They're all in different places in the spiritual journey. What can I pray for specifically for, for them? And then the second half of verse 11. We pray that the, the God may bring to fruition in your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by, 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 by faith. Now, this is a really interesting thing here. Because as someone becomes a more mature believer you would hope that they start to have visions for what God can do um, through them in, in their lives. And it might be that they you know, have a vision to think, well, you know, my father and mother don't know Jesus Christ. I really you know, want to pray that they would become believers. Or I've got this work colleague who I've been praying for for years um, that, that doesn't seem to be getting anywhere at all. Or we want to start a new church in Kenilworth. And we want to have a congregation of believers here, of people who can reach out to this community of 27,000 people, the vast majority of whom don't know Jesus Christ at all. Big visions, big dreams. Paul is praying here that, 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 that actually God may bring to fruition every faith-prompted purpose. So again, are we praying that those visions, those dreams that we've all got, those God-biblically-based dreams, are going to come to fruition? These are big prayers that Paul is praying and a model for us. Then thirdly in the framework for, for, for praying, what is the goal of our prayers? Again, the challenge to us is, well, we probably think the goal of our prayers is that God will make everything all right. Actually, Paul goes beyond that. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 12. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. So the goal of the prayer is that actually Jesus will be glorified. And we've challenged to us is to think how often in our prayers do we really pray that Jesus' name will be glorified in everything that we do. I think one of the great tragedies of the fall is the fact that we have put ourselves in the centre of the universe. And we've almost displaced God. And so often there's a challenge to us to think how many of our prayers are about us and about what we can do and about actually how we can contend rather than thinking actually let Jesus be glorified. Let Jesus be, be, be the one. And, and even if I'm made to look an utter fool in the situation, if Jesus is glorified then the purpose has been served. Because again, thinking about this 
we, we've got, through the Bible, we can see the final day. We've got the final, we can see what is going to happen in the future. We've got this tremendous vision of what's going to happen. And that final day is, in a sense, all that is important. Praying that we might be more like him on that final day. And then finally, what is the power for our prayers? And I think this is one of the challenges for us, because as we think about praying, I think so much of it comes back to just perseverance and willpower. How am I going to pray more? Because we all know that we should be praying more. We, know that we all know that we should be praying more regularly. But, but how, how, do, how do we do that? Well, again, Paul has something of an answer here. He talks in the end about according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we don't need willpower to do it. We actually are given the Holy Spirit to help us. And we're given God's word as well, which presents us with the vision of this final glorious day. The story is told of, of Florence Chadwick, who was a very famous swimmer. She'd swum the English Channel, and um, she was looking to try and do a bigger challenge in America, where there was a, an island called Catalina Island. And uh, I, I believe the gap between the two was probably about 30, 35 miles. It was bigger than the English Channel. And um, she was determined she was going to do it. And, and the day of the challenge, um, it was a really foggy day out in the bay. And she set off. And she was finding it really, really hard going. And she kept saying to the support boat, I can't, I can't do this. I can't carry on. Pull me out. Pull me out. And they went, no, 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 Florence. No, you, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Keep going. You've done this before. Keep going. And so each mile would go by. And each mile she would say, pull me out. I, I, I can't cope with this anymore. And this went on and on and on. And in the end, she screamed at the sport boat, I cannot, I'm going to stop swimming. So she simply just stopped swimming completely. And they had to dive in and get her. When um, she, she then journeyed on the boat to, 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 to the island, she realised she was only half a mile away from the island. It was, tra- it was a tragedy. And she said, oh, if only I had seen it, I would have finished the race. And actually, there was a good ending to the story because a few months later she went back and she did the challenge on a beautifully clear day and she swam the whole thing. And it's a bit of a metaphor here for us as believers because we can see the final day. We know that God's glory awaits on that final day when justice will be done. And our prayers are praying towards that final day. And if we can focus, rather than the immediate and now and our ailments and our issues, with nothing wrong with praying for those at all, but also giving bigger prayers and praying towards that glorious final day of judgment, it will radically change our prayer life. So finally, just a few notes on on, on issues towards our our attitude to praying. Um, Now, if you're like me... probably a very busy person and actually you struggle to find a suitable time in which to pray regularly and the truth is is that much praying is done simply because we do not plan to pray you don't drift into praying generally it's not something that happens apart from in emergency situations Um, so we need to plan to pray we need to plan to do this on, on a regular basis the second problem as well is that when we do come to pray, we're not generally systematic enough. So um, we tend to pray for immediate things that pop into our minds without actually thinking about all the different things that we probably should be, be, be praying for. And thirdly, I think, there's a challenge that we, we don't tend to link our prayers enough to Scripture. 
Um, because the danger of, of us praying without scripture is the fact that it tends to be focused on us rather than actually God's standards. If you think about that prayer of Paul's, so much of it was faced, focused on Jesus Christ rather than that, and that initial situation. Now, I have a solution to you, to those of you who are technologically minded. Um, I've been using it for a little while. It's called PrayerMate. It's an app. It sits on your phone. Now, uh, as I say, this is only for people who have phones, carry these things around with them all the time, um, but it's a good suggestion. Um, what PrayerMate does is it sets a time every day, and it, it uh, rather <coughs> annoyingly buzzes at you and says, now it's time to pray. Now, in my case... In my case, I find that just before I go to work in the morning, five, ten minutes or whatever, is a good time for me to try to do that. Because I find if I leave it too late, it doesn't happen. So it tells me to do that. And what's really good about this thing is it then um, has about five or six screens within it, and you have different prayer things on each of those screens. And it brings up a new scripture every day to help you to try and link your prayers to scripture. Um, I say it's something I found quite helpful. I'm sure other people here, far more faithful people than me, will probably find more traditional ways of doing it. But actually, writing things down and setting a time every day is a really helpful discipline. But another thing that we can do as well is actually keeping accountability with each other. Um, if you, if you uh, have got somebody that you can regularly pray with and keep yourself accountable, that's a really good thing. When I was at university, and Debbie and Mark were at university with me, so I remember this, I remember the prayer trios and that sort of thing, where you would get into a th- group of three, and you would, re- and of course as a student it was a lot easier because you had all this extra time to do it. Um, nowadays, probably more likely in my case, I, um, that it would be my spouse, Anna, in fact, that she would be the appropriate person for me to pray with regularly. But it could, it, it could be it could be anyone, um, provided usually they're of the same sex. Um, but, the, but the final thing I'd say as well is don't get discouraged in this area. Don't get discouraged. Pray until you pray. Because actually, if we just start the rhythm of praying, we will find it easier to pray regularly. Um, just to leave you on a sort of final sort of slide of, of interest, um, I've also, always had a particular interest in the Welsh revival which was the last sort of big revival in, the, in this country. Um, it was an amazing sort of time where you had whole villages, whole coal mining villages, where you would literally have everybody in the village who would turn and profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that in this, in this day and age? And that picture there is of St. David's Hall in Cardiff, where you had these incredible packed-out packed out meetings. I've got a particularly strong thing about the Welsh Revival because my great-grandmother became a believer in the Welsh Revival. And um, my mother's faith <coughs> owed a lot to the faith of my great-grandmother. And it was my mother who led me to Jesus Christ 30 years ago. So I can put my own roots to the Welsh Revival. But the interesting thing is about the Welsh Revival is that it started with prayer. And the man, Evan Roberts, who was sort of one of the sort of people behind it, he was asked once, what is the secret of revival? in 1905 and he said there is no secret it is only ask and receive so you know these revivals start by people praying wouldn't it be amazing if there was a revival in Kenilworth through a group of us starting to pray for those big 